Welcome to Book to Where Two Guys Tell You About the Books They're Reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Nedden. Uh, this week we have a, this is kind of interesting because it's a little special in a way. We're going to be re- reviewing The Familiar by Mark Z. Danielewski. Um, but we're also going to be talk- talking about the event that we went to where we saw Mark read and do a Q&A. Um, God, that was a great time, man. That was actually one of the better readings I've been to. Yeah, I have to agree, and we'll we'll talk more about that. But first, um, we had kind of a surge of new listeners lately, so I think that I don't think we've ever done this. But I'd like to welcome our new listeners to the show. <laughs> this was such a phenomenon. So it just happened that Livius and I kind of both get uh, Twitter notifications about the booked Twitter, and um, lately, um, aside from the <laughs> just kind of nonstop parade of. Uh, of uh, people quoting our review of John F.D. Taft, which we get a lot of that. Um, recently, there's been this group of um, women who uh, have, I guess, stumbled re- you know, just stumbled onto the podcast and are pretty enthusiastic about it and tweeting at each other about it. So we keep getting caught up in these Twitter mentions and stuff like that, and it's uh, it's kind of flattering like to have people talk about you. And uh, I know it's probably like four people just tweeting a bunch, but it felt like they were like the whole world was suddenly on fire with, uh, you know, like loving booked and stuff. Here's here's something else we've never done. This is live from Twitter. Digging this author interview podcast with Josh Mallerman on Bird Box a novel and a link to our podcast. This just came through as you were talking. So hey, Fayette Fox, um, oh, nice. thanks, thanks. If you get to this one, thanks. <laughs> so. You'll dig this one even more because, uh, oh, she just liked us on uh, Facebook, too. She's the, she's the real deal. Yeah, so um, I guess we could talk a little bit more about that and other things, other avenues we have going on after we do this goddamn 880-page book review. <laughs> Buckle up, kids. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a long one. All right, um, but to start it off, here is author bio. This is directly the book. Mark Z. Danielewski was born in New York City and now lives in Los Angeles best author bio ever i'm not going to complain about that that was succinct <laughs> so, um, now you to do a synopsis for a nearly 900 page book all right here we go the familiar volume one ranges from mexico to southeast asia from venice italy to venice california with nine lives hanging in the balance each called upon to make a terrifying choice they include a therapist in training grappling with daughters as demanding as her patients, an ambitious East L.A. gang member contracted for violence, two scientists in Marfa, Texas, on the run from an organization powerful beyond imagining, plus a recovering addict in Singapore summoned at midnight by a desperate billionaire, and a programmer near Silicon Beach whose game engine might unleash consequences far exceeding the entertainment he intends. At the very heart, though is a 12-year-old girl named Xanther, who one rainy day in May sets out with her father to get a dog, only to end up trying to save a creature as fragile as it is dangerous, which will change not only her life and the lives of those she has yet to encounter, but this world, too, or at least the world we think we know and the future we take for granted. So it's not promising too much. I, um... (laughs) Okay couple of things about this book review. Um, first of all, I feel like I have to treat this differently. For anybody who doesn't know, this is the first in a proposed 27-volume series. So I didn't expect there to be a ton of closure at the end of this book, and I was um, I, I was not surprised to find that it wasn't there. It's really 
Um, and Dan Yaluski has said this in, in several places. It's like watching the, the pilot episode of, of a TV show. You know, he's introducing a bunch of things and stuff. But the second thing that came to mind is I didn't read the synopsis. And I was like, oh, that's what's going on with that person. <laughs> so there are some parts that at least I didn't find very oh, no. clear. So let's so preface that. I'm like, oh, that guy, the guy in Singapore goes to see a, a billionaire. I, that happened? <laughs> so, yeah so it's going to be an interesting one yeah um i think a good place to start is the fact that uh there are nine main characters and well so uh i can't remember the exact quote but essentially at some point um daniel Luski said that his different books have tackled different i guess mediums in a way like house of leaves you remember what i'm talking about livius T- uh, house of leaves to uh Okay, Only Revolutions tackled music. House of Leaves was something else. And this was supposed to be kind of more um, television. And and to demonstrate that, essentially there's nine main narrative um, uh, threads focusing around nine different characters. And while each character... I'm sorry, while some characters will kind of spill over into other characters' narratives... Um, for example, there's a family and there's like a, a mother and a father and a daughters and stuff like that. And they all kind of mix into each other's narratives. They each have kind of their own chapters. And the way that the chapters are set up is there's a unique typographical um, layout uh, that is specific to each character. So also the top top right corner, I guess the top corner there's really not multiple corners at the top of a page. The top corner of the page is a different color based on which um, narrative we're following at that given moment. So there's a very distinct um, separation, a very intentional kind of separation of of the narratives, not necessarily into chapters, but into sections. And each one is, is pretty obviously different, but at the same time, there will be characters that cross over between them. Yeah, those marks too are postmarks. So at the beginning of each chapter, I thought it was pretty cool that it had the it was it was an actual postmark, so you actually could figure out where the action was going on to, which I thought was kind of kind of neat. Yeah, stamped with like a time and everything. Um, should talk about a little bit more about kind of book design. I think before we really get into story. Sure. Um, there's also is it grass in between the pages, like at the at the. Inner spine, you know, where the two pages meet. I was wondering what that was. I didn't know exactly what to call it, but grass kind of makes sense, yeah. yeah. Did you catch in the second half of the book that sometimes it was red? Yes. And I could not figure out what the hell that meant. I'm sure there's some meaning behind it that, that <laughs> escaped me. But um, if anybody reads it and figures out what the red is, please drop us a line. I'd yeah, love to know. Definitely. Yeah. Um, uh. Yeah, just kind of a general overview of Daniel Lewski's style, I guess. Oh, before you go on, you know that this all takes place in one day. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was going to cover that under story, but yeah, right. so it's it's 800. So to be fair, it's really about 800 Daniel Lewski pages, which is probably 500. Think, yeah, I was going to say 450 to 500 in, in um, normal writer pages. Um, but yeah, all of that is one day. Granted, it's nine characters, but to be fair, some of these characters get so little i was gonna say screen time but so little story time i mean there's there's two that i could think of that i think only have two or three sections and i mean they're literally like 10 pages each yeah so we spend quite a bit of time um with these people throughout the course of their day 
Um, and again, as Rob mentioned, just very, just the stuff you'd expect from Daniel Lewski. Um, you know, I didn't have to get a mirror, flip the book upside down or anything to, to read any of it, but the visual styling is, is, is pretty much on par. If you have expectations from visually from a Daniel Lewski book, this one will deliver exactly what you, what you think it's going to. Um, I'll, I'll go with that, but not necessarily to the extreme that you would get out of House of Leaves, if you ask me. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I mean, when that he went to only Revolutions, which didn't do, I mean, had the weird, like, notes on the side, and you had to flip it over and read the other side. You know what I mean? So it's right. kind of like, it, it fell well within my my range of, you know, what, what I expected it to be. Um, and then, yeah, getting into story. I mean, this is really, really the stories about Xanther. I mean, that's, uh, you can agree with that, right? Nine characters and all, but. Yeah. Yeah, so Xanther is a troubled 12-year-old, um, and by troubled, she has epilepsy, She's lost um, her birth father, um, although she's been um, being taken care of by Anwar, who is her, her stepfather and married to her mother, Astaire. But um, through the course of just this one day, we get a lot of backstory on her, too. So her father died um, recently. Um, they moved around a lot, um, and she was pulled out of a lot of schools, basically due to bullying for the most part. She's kind of a weird kid. Um, and she's been picked on, but she's finally settled somewhere that she's pretty happy. They're in, uh, they're in LA. She's in a school she likes, but you know, through, through conversations, you know, between her parents and stuff. And then, um, a snippet that we see of her at her therapist, we kind of get some good backstory on her. Um, the whole setup is she's getting a, uh, she's getting a therapy dog today and she doesn't know it at the beginning of the story, but her dad has come into some money and they're going to buy it. Was it a, was it an Akita? An Akita. Yeah. Um, which is a, a great dog for for people who have epilepsy, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> One thing that um, fascinates me about the Xanther character too, and it just happened in a brief blip, so I wouldn't even expect you to remember it. Um, you know, another uh, unique physical characteristic of of Xanther. She has two different color eyes. Yeah, the heterochromia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to pull that that um, that particular terminology out of my ass, but yeah, that's yes, she has that too. Yeah, I like that. I have a fascination. It's weird because uh, where did I see it? So I was reading this book, but then I also, as a treat for finishing the book, I watched a couple episodes of the the new season of Penny Dreadful, and one of the characters has two different colored eyes too. So I was like, oh hey, and heterochromia is something very common in cats, which might come in to play at some point yeah wasn't the was it the dog that also had the two different color eyes or am i totally crossing over into a whole different story now (laughs) i don't they never got the dog well i guess that's a little bit of a spoiler (laughs) (laughs) nice job rob sorry Um, 27 volumes ruined i thought you were um and i always thought you were fascinated by um by uh, women with a lazy eye i thought is what it was (laughs) but apparently i'd I must have mistaken what you were saying. What I mean, you can't have both. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> Cake and oh. eat it, buddy. <laughs> oh, it's got one brown eye and one blue. Blue that way. Like, uh, sometimes like the blue eye looks joke. at me. I think it's adorable. <laughs> I can't. We tell. are terrible. We're terrible people. All right, moving, moving along. <laughs> um, and then I would say outside of that, that Anwar and Astaire, the, the parents, are, are probably the next two, which makes sense, because if she's going to be the focus of this story, that her parents play a huge part in the in the narrative. And and I think it's divvied out that way. They, they've got to have the second and third most um, book time, yep. I think. Uh, uh, interesting thing about, so uh, can we go into typography a little bit? 
Sure. Um, one thing that we, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit, I think we just might as well talk about it as it comes up. Um, <clears throat> part of the Daniel Lewski reading that we went to was a Q&A session, and um, he specifically addressed how he was writing things in the way that these people would be talking or thinking, um, which is very apparent with both the Anwar and Astaire characters, where... Um, I guess the the easiest, the best way I could describe it is like the sentences are nested parenthetical statements. So like, you'll have a a, a, a sentence, but within there, there's a parenthesis, parenthesis that's got something that goes into a sub parenthesis, which goes into even a, in another level of parentheses, and then it all resolves itself back into the normal sentence. And both of them do that, but in a different, like a uniquely different style. At least is how I felt about it. Yeah. Um... A little difficult to read at times with that way. When Rob says that, he's um, he's uh, uh, he's downplaying it a little bit because <laughs> I think that in some cases, when you got to the end of a paragraph, there were like six closing parentheses at the end. Yeah, I mean, and I probably could read an example. But but it's interesting because that and that I think um, I don't know how to say this. It makes a stare seem a little. I don't know, all over the place, which which I think her character is. And some of her story is, um, obviously, she was involved with a man named Dove who died uh, under apparently questionable circumstances, I, I would say. And, uh, uh, in, in service, military service, I thought. That, that could be. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but there are lots of things I'm not sure about. So, yeah, sure, in military service. Um and you know she's had she's got twins now and she's got this and she's just finished her her coursework um to get her degree and this in the morning the the i don't know final grades or whatever you want to call it for her thesis um show up and um she doesn't open them so she's kind of a little all over the place and and i think that all the parenthetical um typography really kind of brings that to the forefront yeah definitely can i I guess I can try. I can give it a shot. It, read it, reading it with your eyes is different than actually trying to read it out loud, so we'll see how this goes. Astaire knows she's neither presumptuous nor proud, except where her... And then, uh, I don't know how to annotate this. <laughs> I thought I was going to see how you're going to pull that off, and you said I could probably read a passage. I was like, all right, I don't know if this is good. Uh, let's see. But even, I think, just reading it will give people the, okay. the kind of all-over-the-place feel. <clears throat> Yeah. All right. So I'm going to skip that one because this one's kind of got the more nested feel to it. She knows she's more than capable of failure. Experienced it many times. After all, her relationship uh, with the father of her child had failed grotesquely. No other word for it. But like there's four different levels of parentheses involved in that. So it kind of makes sense. Um, but it's like uh, like a jarring uh, side thought, which has a side thought, which has a side thought, which comes back to the main. Yeah, it's fucked up. There's word corrections in some of those too, which I found interesting. Yeah, you know what? Where she says, and not word corrections, I guess, where she says something, yeah. but in parentheses is what she really means, um, which I thought was really cool. Uh, probably, yep. probably one of my favorite parts to read, quite honestly. One of one of the the best characters I thought, other than Xanther. Yeah, like um, at one point it'll say exposed, but then exposed is 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 um, strike through. Then parentheses next to it is expelled. So, yeah, stuff like that. Um, quickly, some of the other characters. Luther, and, and I actually think that Rob wrote these down almost in order of importance, <laughs> it seems, because Luther <laughs> seems to get the next. He, he listed out the nine characters for us. 
Luther is um, the leader of a gang also in Los Angeles. Um, and, and I think, again, he gets the next amount of, of page time in this book. Um, and he's just kind of going about his business through most of the, the book. Just uh, in the course of a day, he has kind of a new guy tagging along with him. He, he runs into some, uh, you know, some women that are affiliated with the gang. And, you know, and they kind of take care of some business throughout the course of the, of the book. Not uh, not really clear, um, at least early on, you know, how he's going to tie into this at all, as it is with most of these characters. But I think we start to see it a little bit at the end with him. Yeah, and things kind of get weird with Luther, but I think we're going to mention that a little bit farther on in the in the in the conversation. But um, motorcycles, <laughs> there are motorcycles in the book. Actually, I think there might actually be motorcycles in the book. A couple of other quick characters. There's one called Osgur, and it's O Z G U R, um, who is a uh, a police officer or detective with the uh, L A Police Department. I think in the uh, kind of shadier police area, the Rampart Division, which. Um, which uh, I believe, and I might be wrong about this, was the uh, real part of the L.A. Police Department that inspired the TV show The Shield. I don't know if you knew that. I had no idea, but that is an interesting tidbit. Maybe Vic will make an appearance. Ooh, Vic Mackey in Volume oh. 4. Oh, oh, Cats didn't do well on The Shield, if I remember correctly. Oh, <laughs> you're thinking about that episode where Dutch kills the cat? Yep. So maybe maybe this hopefully takes place <laughs> oh, in a different LA than the Shield did. Um, you also have Schnork is the only way I could think of to pronounce that. Schnork. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who is uh what is it Serbian or something? Uh, cab driver. There's a very small part in this uh, in this book, but I'm assuming eventually we'll have kind of a greater calling. Um, and then there's. Um, <laughs> A couple more. One that just bears talking about because it, it was so fucking difficult is Jing Jing. Yeah, Jing Jing is uh, from Singapore and speaks Singlish. Now, me being, you know, not as worldly a person as I could be, had no idea what this was or that it even had a term until I heard Danny Lewski talking about it. So I actually looked up some YouTube videos on how to speak Singlish. And, uh,. Man, I think he did us he did us a favor because it's a lot easier to read the way he wrote it than, than it, authentic people speaking. Because I understand a fucking word on YouTube. So uh, you mean you're not fluent in Singlish now? No, no, not quite yet. YouTube, YouTube failed you. Um, yeah, Jingjing. It's a combination of like fucking English, but then words phonetically spelled out in English that probably are more um, like Mandarin or Cantonese or something like that. I'm guessing Chinese, right? There's a list when I looked up on YouTube. It's probably like eight different languages all thrown in there. Um, and it's if you ask me, it's fucking indecipherable. Like I, I got the basic thread because it's all kind of done in in a third person omniscient uh, narrative throughout. If I believe, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. so this <laughs> this third person uh, narrate narrator kind of breaks through from you know time to time just enough to really kind of carry the narrative along to the point where you can more or less know basically what's going on but it's it's difficult yeah i I struggled with with that one quite a bit i mean i got the idea like jing jing is this kind of addict recovering addict who uh gets uh asked to bring I think Jing Jing's aunt. I don't know if Jing Jing's a man or a woman, um, even. Um, 
to bring their aunt to help someone who's dying who is close to this billionaire rich person or something like that. But weird stuff happens and people are vomiting. It's really strange. Rounding out the cast um, is Andorno, who's a, a man who lives in South America. Um, and although brief, very, very painfully brief appearances, um, had one of the most interesting storylines, I kind of think. I mean, I was most looking forward to reading more about his Endorno than, mm-hmm. um, than, than pretty much everybody except for Xanther, maybe. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, that, that had that, uh, I don't know, is it Halloween 4? The guy who gets off the bus, nobody knows anything about him. He's kind of just walking around town kind of feel to it. It really assumes that I've seen Halloween 4. Okay, I think it was 4. Maybe it was 5. At any rate. Um, Cass, who is a... Um, Scientist who's kind of on the run. Um, I believe in the the synopsis it says, uh, you know, from from a. Um, I guess I could actually look at the synopsis because I have it in front of me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> is on the run from an organization powerful beyond imagining. So she has access to something. Her and a, a man that she's with, who's her. I don't, I don't know if it's her. Is it her husband? I, I know um, they're together in relationship wise, but I don't know if it's romantic. But they're mm-hmm. definitely partners in one way or another. Yep. Yeah. They're an older couple that that's kind of been on the run, moving from location to location as they continue to research clips. So I'm going to say clips because I think that's actually mentioned the first time that they talk about it. Um, and then <laughs> TF Narcon, um, which man, is a narrative even... construct. Is that what the Narcon is? Yeah, it stands for narrative construct, and and I was fascinated by it. Although, again, much like other things in this book, I totally didn't get it. Fucking TF Narcon 9 is probably my favorite, one of my favorite characters. Because, like, and I have actually some quotes from TF Narcon 9, so you'll get some of the character. But, like, essentially, TF Narcon 9 is a little bit fourth wall. Because it's specifically, in my, if I understand it correctly, a, pr- a byproduct of the telling of this story, right? That's kind of how it seemed to me, too, yeah. And the idea is, um, and, and, and actually this is Livius. You, Livius read this way way sooner than I did and finished it before I did. And um, Livius and I were talking about the different um, uh, typographical elements to it. And I had pointed out exist uh, uh, examples of TF Narcon 9 far before you actually learn what it is. And, and I was saying how this mm-hmm. is the only consistent typographical um, style throughout all of the different narratives. And I was saying this probably means something, and I, I was like all excited because I had a theory, and Livius is just looking at me like, I already know, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, love TF Narcon 9, and basically what, the, what it does throughout the book is add context to something, or correct something, or explain something, right? Yep. Absolutely. So, is that suitably weird enough for everybody from a from a Daniel Lewski story? <laughs> um, I, I I believe so. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure that we had all the bases for how fucking weird this goddamn book is. Um, do you want to talk about some of the notes, random notes? Yeah, absolutely, sure. Because, like, all right, so the um. We've talked enough about the characters, and some characters' stories really don't have a start or a stop. They just kind of exist, and they're 
overall importance to like what is the larger story isn't really necessarily clear. So we pretty much know what's going on with Xanther, uh, and Astaire, and by you know, by association, Aster and Anwar, um, Luther, and everybody below that that we mentioned is still pretty foggy. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, in a spoiler-free way, yes, because there are two that I um, that I've totally locked down, you know, for for what their involvement in the story is or is likely to be. But yeah, I, I, they're both very spoilery. Oh, can we go off the record so you can tell me what you think? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, there's the um, cast, the wizard. Mm-hmm. She sees important pieces of stuff in those globes, and she sees Xanther. So I'm guessing that she's going to come to and find Xanther based on what she sees in the globe. Yep. And then um, Jing Jing, that's the story that fucking ends with her saying that the cat's finally gone. The ant. Yeah. So Auntie, where's yeah. your cat? The cat's gone or whatever. Gone and she says it's finally yeah. gone forever. Yeah. yeah. So I think that she is the previous owner of the cat. And the cat. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the two that I have. And Luther, um, dude, Luther actually walked on water, right? Did I did I misunderstand that? Or did that motherfucker actually walk on water? That's kind of unclear to me. Okay. Because because when they came back, they weren't very clear on it. But he takes the steps out onto the water. Right, but then it's almost explained that it was just really shallow water. <laughs> yeah, I, but yeah, then, but yeah. but then what happens with the other character maybe implies that that's not necessarily the case. But anyway, right. So yeah, um, but that's that's the two I feel like I have pretty much nailed. I agreed with you on the on Cass. Uh-huh. Jing Jing, I feel like is probably one of the more important characters too. Um, can we talk about then, I guess, and this isn't spoilery at all, uh, if TF Narcon 9 was one of the actual typographical consistencies throughout the book, there was another uh, narrative consistency throughout the book, and it was that at some point in, I think, all of the different stories, um, something weird and almost supernatural happens where... <sighs> It's almost as if uh, things get kind of foggy and unclear. And by foggy, I mean like meteorologically foggy. Um, and people think that something is calling out to them, like uh, to try and be rescued almost, right? Yep, absolutely. I don't know if it's everybody. I definitely know it's everyone in the L.A. area that catches it. Yeah. Um, maybe not Jing Jing. Mm-hmm. But Jing Jing does see weird shadows moving and stuff, so that's weird. Yep. Um, but everybody, yeah, in the L.A. area, you're right. So Xanther, Anwar, Aster, Luther, I think. Osger. Osger, mm-hmm. Schnork. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Schnork might be the op, uh, the mm-hmm. outlier. And Cass, maybe yes, maybe no? Yes, I'm going to go with kind of a maybe yes based, yeah, without spoiling anything. <laughs> I'll have an experience where... The there's like a fog or they feel like fog appeared or things got foggier outside and they hear or f- feel like they hear something crying or calling out um, that's kind of a little bit unclear um, and they're but they feel kind of unnaturally drawn to try and find out what this is or rescue it or something like that um, which is a little fucking creepy if you ask me a little bit <laughs> this Oh, this story, like, you know, because it starts out and, and you don't really know. I mean, all we really knew about it, e- even if you read the the synopsis, which is more than, you know, than I did. But 
Um, <laughs> I didn't get the feeling this was going to have a lot of supernatural stuff in it, but by the end of the book, I'm convinced that there are at least three different supernatural things that have occurred or are in the process of occurring. Sure. So um, definitely expect more supernatural out of this. I like that you added this in the notes because I was going to talk about this more during the wrap up, but now's a fair time. Um, Daniel Lewski during his Q and A session, and, and maybe it was even before that, talked about how it's okay not to understand everything. Yeah, like in a big way, dude. He, he was very passionate about <laughs> it's okay to not understand things, which normally drives me nuts. He um, even almost said that like it's a flaw of adulthood that we feel like because we are as intelligent as we are that we need to understand everything he said we're really entitled and, and he's right <laughs> I, mean, I do feel that way a lot of the time <laughs> um and I, i'm glad that he said it specifically relating to this book that it's okay not to understand everything and i do believe that things will become more clear as the series progresses um I did feel better about not understanding something in a book that's a setup book like this in the scope of a Danielewski book than I would in um, pretty much anything else we've, we've reviewed for, for the most part mm. um, because of the way he tells stories. And again, it's an expectation. Had this been the first thing I picked up without knowing anything about Danielewski, um, I, I probably would have been very disappointed in some of these sections. <laughs> At one point, I think that, I don't know if it was in a phone conversation or in person or through text, but, oh no, it was last episode where I, I had a worry that this was, uh, Daniel Lewski was going to be the next uh, David Foster Wallace for you. Yeah, I, um, uh, well, here's, so here's my history. <laughs> it, it took me three tries to get through House of Leaves, um, and, and I love it, and it's it's probably still in my top 20 books of all time. Um I couldn't read only revolutions. I just straight up couldn't. I tried numerous times. I'm still planning on doing it again. He did mention, oh, can we, can we as an aside, I know we're, we're kind of coming out of the, the review by doing this. I, I don't know how uh, out in the open this is, but he talked about that new digital version of only revolutions, which I thought sounded really fucking cool. That, uh, that was one of the, and actually in response to my question, so mm -hmm. we could talk yep. a little bit about that. Um, I asked a question uh, referring back to our review of 50 Year Sword about how my experience on the iPad edition was vastly superior to Livius's uh, experience on Android, to which <laughs> here's one thing I, I fucking just fell in love with Danielewski over was just how willing he is to admit failure. And, yeah. um, and like, so he said the Kindle edition was a disaster, and he, he some of the promotional things for the familiar didn't do what they you know expected them to and homeboy was just straight up like yeah that didn't work um which was amazing if you ask me oh i agree wholeheartedly and that's that that is one of the things that endeared him to me and it came up very early in his q a um <laughs> but specifically talk about only revolution so rob had asked that question he talked about not being able to chase all of the digital aspects which is fair i mean granted there's there's really only two big ones currently but i expect to see that expand over the next few years i know there's some small startups that are working on digital books and things but um he did say that they were currently working and were going to release an Only Revolutions where the storyline scrolled side by side. So if you're familiar with the book, the recommended reading was that you flipped it over. So you read eight pages of, um, and I forget their names, eight pages of the boy's story, and then you read eight pages of the girl's story, which required you to flip the book over and read it and kind of maintain, you know, a consistent pace for you to see their stories intertwined. 
um, the digital edition apparently is going to scroll together side by side. So you can read. I, I don't know if that's going to be a page at a time or how that's going to work exactly, but uh, it will give me another reason to look at only revolutions again. Um, yeah, that was very exciting. And um, that would give me... I have a hardcover edition of Only Revolutions that I've never even tried, primarily because uh, by the time I had free time, we had started doing this podcast, so that kind of closed the door on that. But um, uh, I've read everything other major now, House of Leaves and Fifty Year Sword and now Familiar Volume 1, Whale's Toe Letters being another book that he released, but that's essentially in House of Leaves anyway, right? I believe it's a little expanded from that, but yeah, I think I think the House of Leaves gives you the gist of it. It's funny because he didn't even mention that as one of the books that he read during his uh, his bio <laughs> section. So I don't I don't know, um, but yeah. So anyway, that's really exciting, um, and the fact that I didn't have to understand everything because thank God that he let me off the hook with that. That I can't tell you how much that made the reading the book more enjoyable. I, 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 I honestly because I was. So I was about 70% of the way in, and um, I already didn't feel terrible about it. Um, but then after he said that, I just kind of, I let go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, I totally don't understand what the hell his last paragraph was. It's cool. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, and, and another part of it is um, there's more than just English in this book. There is, and I have a list because I'm a list maker, Armenian, German, Hebrew, Mandarin, Cantonese, Russian, Turkish, and English. All in their respectable, respectable, respective, respective is what I mean. Uh, alphabets. So if it's not, oh, and there's a little bit of Greek in there too, I think. Um, so I actually downloaded Google Translate, the app, and was taking pictures of pages that had Russian or that had, you know, Cantonese or whatever, and having it translated to me to try and understand what, what was being said. Um, until Daniel Lewski said, you don't have to understand everything. And I was like, okay, well, I kind of can contextually build what I need to know about this or just kind of move on understanding that because I don't need to know it, I'll probably still get the gist. Yep. Yeah, I didn't have any. I mean, I, I, I did not do any of that. And I didn't feel that it was important to, I guess. At no point was I like, oh, man, I feel like I'm missing something by not reading Cantonese. <laughs> Well, you know what I mean? Like, that, that's, I didn't feel that, that they was taking anything away. But it was nice visually on the page to see some of that stuff. So. And um, he said, going back to what you said about entitlement, and I know we're kind of straying from the, like, the explanation of what happens in the book. He had the coolest thing that he said, and I'm sure, and like the entire time he was talking about it, I figured Livius was disagreeing in his mind, was that um, if we, and by we I mean authors... <laughs> uh, basically make books that speak in a very specific language and style um, that's like a bad thing because we're excluding the natural style of uh, style or understanding or dialect or whatever it happens to be of a lot of different people giving the example that there is actually a, he had someone respond to him who speaks Singlish that was very excited about being able to identify with that part of the book in a personal way that they'd probably never experienced before in a book, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I can just not feel you disagreeing. Here's the whole thing. It's not that I was disagreeing, but it's, it's also <laughs> my thought was that's great. I don't know how many people in the world speak Singlish or how many of them are likely to ever get their hands on this book, but you're writing for really narrow, <laughs> narrow readership. Like, you know, 
Uh, you might as well be writing for people who don't believe in gravity at that point. I mean, that's really <laughs> interesting. Uh, all right, sure. I'm one of those people. Let's not get into it. But there's not a lot of there's not a lot of um, text out Newton there for, for people like me. Yeah, was so. a charlatan. <laughs> um, you be ready, ready to go into some uh, quotes? Yeah, dude. All right, so we could do some clever editing here, so I don't know where we left off. Here's the deal. So um, I only I took photos of a couple of pages <laughs> because this is a paper book and everyone knows how much I love paper books. Um, one of the reasons is that it's really hard to, um, to to take down quotes unless you're that guy, that guy in the audience, if you're listening, who was his question was, why is this paper so difficult to write on? <laughs> oh, the Horror guy right shot there. through me. It shot through me. I was like, why the fuck would you write in a book? What the fuck is wrong with you? But I didn't. I kept I kept my cool. And Daniel Lewski was right. If you're complaining about the high quality paper this book came in, just buy better pens. Sharpie yeah. pens. He he was, but his answer was so fucking nice because he's like, yeah, a lot of thought went into it. And he was giving this really kind of neutral answer. But at the very end, he's like, turns out ballpoints work. <laughs> oh, shit. Jesus Christ. I was so. like, that's my man. So the first couple of quotes I'm going to do were, were my own, and then I'm going to borrow from this very nice list that, that Rob, who puts a lot more work into this kind of thing than I do, apparently <laughs> typed out. So from pretty early on, um, One Rainy Day in May, that's kind of the subtitle of this um, book, and it's raining. And some of the most fascinating stuff, as far as I'm concerned, came very early in Xanther's passages, and some of it had to do with rain. Uh, there's one answer. Rain is just water with holes in it, lots and lots of holes, adding up to one big hole, one all engulfing and catsum, brutal banishing. Hmm. Love that. Rain is just water with holes in it. It's pretty awesome. There's a lot of perspective like that that uh, my next my first quote won't won't go there but um yeah there's a lot of that and i try to grab that i think i have the quote of the book and i texted it to you earlier today but um we'll get back to that in a minute do you agree did you get my text i do and i i think you might be right all right so here's one from early on all my uh this is just chronological so this is toward the beginning of the book uh a stare we know of dove who i'm going to mention is her um deceased uh, husband, I'm, I'm assuming, who is the father of, of Xanther, the biological father of Xanther. Dove and Astaire had been so young, so in love, what did they know about the cost of dying, or for that matter, the cost of living? Which I thought was really beautiful, but also reminded me of the Rob Robert's book by the same name, The Cost of Living. That's the first thing I thought when you started reading that. <laughs> motorcycle. Should we do a motorcycle count? Every time there's a motorcycle in this episode, take a drink. My Diet Coke will be empty soon. <laughs> You'll be It'll flat be really, on the floor. You'll be really drunk. <laughs> um, sorry, let me find my next one. It looked like the next one. I had a picture, and all it basically was was... Um, boobs? Like parenthetical yeah, boobs? Yeah, exactly. No, it was um, the page before the one I was just reading. I went mm -hmm. back and apparently got the page before. This isn't a quote so much, and I'm sure that this is come up somewhere um before unless daniel is he's also some kind of fucking mathematician which is possible because he's like the smartest guy i think i've ever heard speak um <laughs> anwar at one point does some map um and i guess it's called the zero 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 divided by zero fallacy oh um, yeah 
but I was fascinated by this. One times zero equals zero, and two times zero equals zero. Therefore, one times zero equals two times zero, and divide both sides by zero, and you get one is equal to two, which I think was a little bit of a foreshadowing into where this book might be headed. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I don't have a quote, but there's another part um, in the book that I'm going to talk about right now. Um where um, Anwar, I think we, I don't know if we actually mentioned it, but he's a video game designer. And by that, I think he designs like the actual game engines. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole sequence where Xanther is playing a video game and it all felt very, very much like foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. That shit's coming back. You know it's it. It's probably one, probably my second favorite scene in the book after the, the kind of rain thoughts that she has early on. And then, and that's fucking, the rain thoughts were amazing. And the rain thoughts, if that was the whole book, I would have been satisfied. But. That scene, because you just know how important that's that's going to be later on in whatever incarnation it happens to happen in, is just so fucking chilling because you're like, she doesn't know. But I know she's eventually going to know, and I know how fucked up that's going to be. <laughs> yep, I have to agree. That was that was actually, that creeped me out a little bit, <laughs> that actual part, which wasn't a scary part in the book, to be fair. It wasn't written to be, you know what I mean? Yeah, but here's the funny thing. Had we not known that there was going to be 27 volumes, that might have just been a normal scene. True that. Very true. Here's a quote I got. Uh, this is about Osger, who is, uh, his name is reduced to just Oz, who is the, the detective. And this has kind of got a noir. He had kind of a noir, hard-boiled kind of feel to the to the narrative style that I really liked. And this, this probably sums up the feel of Osger's section the best. Osgur had lived and worked at her streets for over 27 years, and one and her being Los Angeles. And one thing stays true. He never gets sick of the way she rises up at dawn, the way she grows smokier come dusk, and the way that during a big storm like this, she falls down and her mascara runs. God damn it, man. Fuck, that is a good quote. <laughs> Seriously. That is a great quote. I'm going to do the last thing I... Well, no, I snapshotted some other things. The last one I'm going to read during the quote section, though. Um, and I'm only going to read it because I need someone to verify it. And I should ask Daniel Lewski because, God damn it, how often do you have access to the guy, right? Um, because this was not a proclaiming or encoding or even a canonizing, but rather, and now this is the narrative construct in the parentheses, it says always with two L's. And it pops up in the book, I think, in two other places. Um, and the reason I want to mention that is I do remember that in House of Leaves there was a segment that, that um, affected me enough to remember it now years later where he talks about the word always and hallways, which are very, very yeah. central to that and spells yeah. always with the two L's. So I don't know if the narrative construct really understands. Maybe it knows. Maybe it knows about the Navitson record. Oh, that creeps me out just thinking about that. See? That's what I'm talking about. So I said it wasn't really a quote so much. So if anybody else can address the always with the two L's, if you have some kind of insight, um, again, please hit me up. Educate me. Daniel Lewski, if you're listening, what the fuck, man? What the fuck, man? Yep. I'm going to do two quotes back to back. One of them is just a shout out to my girl, Misty Bennett. This next quote, I believe, also was Oscar. The Oscar narrative. The great Hawkshaws, which I don't understand what a Hawkshaw is, um, had taught him English and maybe even to love scotch, though 18-year-old McAllen doesn't require a teacher, just good taste. Dude, is that the stuff that tastes really good with Diet Coke? 
<laughs> oh shit. This is something that a lot of our listeners don't know, but when <laughs> I broke some serious laws when I was in uh, Minneapolis. <laughs> like, bourbon enthusiasts would seriously probably hunt me down and hurt me for what I did up there. That was um, Pappy Van Winkle 20 year um, that I mixed with Diet Coke. <laughs> Uh, which is just like a crime. It is. It is probably like a punishable crime. If I were in Kentucky, I probably wouldn't be alive anymore. Uh, <laughs> That's the only reason you wouldn't survive in Kentucky. Then you're doing okay. <laughs> but the 18-year-old McAllen. That's the bottle that we got. Uh, Jesse and I pitched in to uh, buy Misty as a surprise gift. Very very nice. Yeah. I got another quote. This is uh, again just a really nice kind of. I feel this kind of noirish feel to it. Maybe a little bit new black. Not new black. <laughs> just, again, just a little jab there. <laughs> when you're standing in the rain where the dead have lain and the blood has mostly washed away, it makes sense then to think only of her. I just like that, man. I like that a lot, too. I'm going to steal Rob's next quote here just so uh, I can interject occasionally. As the old Narcons put it, there is not space in the universe to tell the universe to the universe. Therein lies the peculiar beauty and sadness of stories to tell it all without all at all. There aren't very many um, past, you know, like your other quotes. I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. I actually remember reading that one and reading it like a second time. Yeah. Because there's such like such uh, mechanical logic to it, but such poetry to it, too. Right? Indeed. Yep. Um, you're not getting the best quote of the book. <laughs> but I'm going to hold off on that one. That's mine. So I'm going to read another one, and then you get one, and then I get that one, okay? Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> Which one do you prefer, the, the Luther one or the other, the drink one? I'll take the, the Luther one. You're, you're the one that understands drink better. This one really touched me personally. <laughs> <laughs> uh I can't remember which um, which narrative this was a part of, um, but I just like this a lot. <laughs> Human history is shaped by drink. Human history, for all it aspires to reach, always needs a way to come down. That is like the fucking story of my life. It's from the Rob narrative. That's the Rob narrative, right? <laughs> and then I'm going to take uh, Rob's penultimate quote here because he, as you may have heard, just refused, which is fine. <laughs> He's really defensive of the other one. <laughs> like he wrote it. Good use of penultimate there. Yep. Luther fears no man, and certainly no man's laws. As he always says, I'm so against the law, they haven't even written the laws I'm already breaking just by being me. Clearly, this is different, as if there are a place beyond a place, and even a thing beyond a thing that is equally against the law, and this thing has suddenly seen him. Did you shit your pants when you read that? Yeah, dude, I here's the whole thing. This is what we didn't talk about. We talked about how pretty the book is, <laughs> how confusing the book is, how there's like really creepy shit, how there's things that allude to other things. We didn't talk about is how just goddamn good a writer he is. I know. I know, dude. I know. It's that and these and that's why quotes are so important. And that's why I think I love quotes more than most parts of the episode is because like we can tell you about a book all day long, but like these types of things just emphasize the fucking craft and and Danny Lewski for all the weirdness and all the craziness and like how much he's fucking asking of us to just get through one of his books he delivers in a big way 
I agree. Absolutely. The icing on the cake, the <laughs> the quote of the book, if you ask me, is one that, uh, and, and I'll go back to, like, the Xanther character is quirky and weird, you know, which we talked about, but just so heartbreakingly precious in so many ways. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think this quote really captures the spirit of the character. And early on, like, one of the things that was talked about early on about this character was how um, how precious she held life. And um, there were just certain things toward the beginning of the book where she was asking questions about this and that. She asked lots of questions to the point where, like, people found it, you know, kind of grating or disturbing or anything. But, like, it was just because she had this unbound, like, curiosity. But she would ask questions about life, and she was so careful to preserve, like, even, like, an earthworm on the sidewalk kind of thing um, that, like, it was practically moving me to tears towards the beginning of the book how innocent and pure, you know, her, her, her mind was. And this quote, I think, kind of encapsulates that very well. She could chase fireflies for hours, but would never cap the jar. <laughs> Rob just dropped his book. That's it. Dropped it. <laughs> God damn that It's such an excellent quote. Um, you ready to do wrap-up and then maybe never. a little bit more talking about the book? No, we just keep talking about this book. <laughs> I, Rob, I totally think you should go first this time. <clears throat> really? All right, just to start out with, I am such a sucker for this type of thing. I love unique typography. I love any kind of book that makes you work to understand the, the greater kind of feeling of the book. So books like Raw Shark Text and House of Leaves and things like that where um, it borders on, oh, I wish I remembered the word that they use and they actually use it inside the book. Um, that, you know, as, as far as the style of the book goes. Um, but I use the word ergodic literature, which essentially means books that make you work. Um, and, and typically that means lots of, you know, um, footnotes and things like that that, like, help to provide context to the overall text, that type of thing. But, like, anything that, that puts you kind of more in an active role in the story, I love this kind of stuff. So I eat this stuff up way more than than probably your average reader would. Um, it, it's fucking – it's just a pretty book. Um, it's it's an interesting book because of the layout and the typesetting and the typography and the images and, and just everything like that. Um, but it's just so layered in so many different ways. The approach of making it kind of episodic, so each um, kind of individual narrative thread had its own feel to it. And when you would switch from one to another, it was like you were changing channels or you were watching the next show you know, that came on after the show before it, that type of thing. Um, was was really cool too and was very intentional um it had that danielewski kind of gravity to it so just the emotional attachment you get to the character xanther the creepiness you feel in those moments where things just like are so unsettlingly not right um and I don't know. Overall, just the quality of of the writing through the quotes that we you know we you know showed you and, and far many more examples than that. Um, it's just a goddamn masterpiece, and and you know anyone could aspire to write an eighth of what what was put through, and just this book, which is the first of twenty seven, which just blows my mind. And and if it was just like 
I guess because we saw him in person, this is an entirely new kind of um, um, facet to the overall experience because it's not just that, like, you know, if it would be one thing if, like, he wrote a crazy book and it turned out that what we thought was brilliant was just, like, some crazy rantings of a weird guy who, who you know, is an asshole or whatever. But, like, in that live appearance, he was super approachable, super nice, really thoughtful and 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 just intelligent and and just like like everything you'd want to hear in, in an author and it so endeared me to him as a writer that it made me believe more in the way that he writes which made me you know invest more in wanting to to get the most out of it so um seeing him live actually really helped me care more about the story um but the story itself the book itself the weird thing about it is it's 900 almost 900 pages but it really feels like it's just the beginning of something, which is, is almost impossible to pull off, I would think. And like Livius and I said, probably it's closer to 450 to 500 pages of actual words or whatever. But it really feels like it's just the jumping off point of a much larger story, which is, I would say, simultaneously terrifying and actually really exciting. <laughs> this book on its own had enough like narrative drive that standing on its own it's a good book to read but there's a lot of stuff that just kind of is weird understanding that it contributes to a much larger story i think it's an excellent jumping off point so i babbled a lot but essentially what i'm trying to say is i really dug the book on its own and i really really want to see what goes on with xanther and the other characters so i'm going to give this four and a half stars Yeah, it's um, it's hard because you almost have to credit this book on the fact that you know it's a jumping off point. So as a standalone book, you know all those things that Rob said um, stand true. The 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 writing is brilliant. The amount of work he put into it to do nine distinct voices, um, uh, incredible. Um, beautiful, and we didn't even talk about just the quality of the book so much. Is it's written almost on the, it's like fine art paper. It's almost like magazine pages, like. That. I don't think I own another book that's written on this paper. Um, that that alone is worth a few stars. Just the actual produced quality of the book. It's got the little, the little um, fabric ribbon bookmark. You know, I mean, it's just beautiful all in itself. And then it encompasses this fucking crazy ass story that doesn't start off crazy, but it starts to get a little crazy towards the end. And I can only imagine where this takes us. Um, my hope and or and or concern is that there's enough interest for um, the publisher to publish book 27 or book 18 or 12 for that matter. So, I mean, a lot of people are going to have to get behind this. Um, this one will sell tons and tons and tons of copies based on the Danieluski name. How many people are going to come back remains to be seen. And, you know, it's possible that this only goes six volumes before the publisher says, hey, not enough people are buying this. I don't know. But um, th- there's enough of a start to a story here there that I'd like to see him complete it. Will we ever review another one? I don't know if it'll make sense for us to review a sequel um, to this or another volume to this in three, four months when it comes out. But um, I guess I'm getting uh, away from the actual kind of wrap up. Um, I I liked it. There are lots of things I didn't understand. And oddly, I'm I'm okay with it. I was kind of okay with it, um, figuring that in the next 26 volumes, some of this will become more clear. Um, and then, like I said earlier, Daniel Lewski kind of left, let me off the hook and said, hey, um, it's cool that you don't understand stuff. Like, you don't have to understand everything. Um, 
I finished this book a few days ago, which is good because I feel differently about it now maybe than I did when I closed it. Um, and it's uh, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still thinking about the characters in my mind. I'm still thinking about where some of these things can go. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about is the last 40 pages or so um, appear to be the beginning of volume two in which he does some very different stuff than he did in this book. Uh, and it's 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 so cool that um, here's spoiler alert. Um, uh, Rob was really worried. I wasn't going to like this. I went ahead and pre-ordered the second one through Amazon. Um, oh, goddamn. So. Yeah, so the the second one will be coming. Um, yeah, I really liked it. Um, I don't. Uh, it, it's so weird because we don't typically get to review a book on its aesthetic appeal, and that's worth some points. I, uh, I, I, th- I think Rob's right. I, I think um, maybe if it was an all encompassing story. So there's. I just finished watching The Flash, um, season one of The Flash, and and it has you know a clear beginning, a middle, and an end to the story. That if it never went anywhere else, you felt like there was a completion there. Maybe that's a little bit of what was missing from this for me to give it five stars. So I think I think Rob's right. Four and a half stars. That's a pretty. I I think we. I think that's better than what we did for Fifty Year Sword, if I remember. I, I think you're right. Um, and, and but this is uh, there. There's so many different facets to it. And like I said, some of the ones we didn't talk about because they were spoilery. But some of the supernatural stuff that that kind of occurred later on in the book. I, I'm very very interested to see where it goes. Um. Definitely. Breaking news. Um. Hate to cut in in the middle of this because. I mean, I don't think we've talked so thoughtfully about a book in a while. Mm-hmm. But a coworker of mine just uh, moved into a new house, and um, they they sent me a picture of their. They just set up their library at their new place, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> it's so precious. I'm going to send you the the photo, Livius, actually, because you're going to appreciate this. <laughs> while you're while you're doing that, can I tell you that I want to scan? Um, the the rain page, the rainstorm page, and I want to put that up as a poster on my wall. Um, are we talking about later in the book or early in the book? Early in the book. There's two, but the the really nutty one, the the, the second one, when the, the rain really many raindrops, down. where it's like kind of sideways. Or mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That yeah, that was really cool. Did you get my text yet? Not yet. All right. Oh, it's still sending. Um. Yeah, that. Um, but I will say, and you may agree, you may agree, you may disagree. Some of the later ones, like when um, I think it takes place when um, Xanther is is searching for the thing that's calling out, which I think I can say without too much spoiler. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you have the book in front of you? Um, I do. Five fifteen. Five fourteen. Oh, that's page numbers. I'm like, I don't know how you're going to direct me to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flipping. Yeah, I kind of like that, too. There's a couple like that. So because this is an audio medium, I guess I'll have to explain what's going on. So the words, how many raindrops, like that quote, is is written out in a way throughout the two pages, uh, the two-page spread, where those letters comprise what looks like pouring rain. Uh, what I like about the one on 514 is that there's little circular ones which kind of imply that that's like drops hitting the hitting the ground, which I thought was just fucking amazing, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. Later on, it happens as well. I think possibly in the Anwar. Um, Dude, if we're going this far, the fucking animal shapes in the preview for Volume Two. Oh Holy God! Shit. Can we fucking talk about that preview? <laughs> that's right, what so, I was saying. <laughs> all right. So the preview. All right. So at the end of the book, like Livia said, did you get that picture yet? No. 
Are you serious? Oh wait, just now. Here we go. <laughs> this is a, this is the best picture ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll let you describe it. <laughs> so it is um it is a, a cube cubicle bookshelf, you know, where it's got a bunch of cubes. It looks like it might be like a nine cube or a six cube shelf. And um, apparently, these people don't read a lot because I see some movies up at the top, DVDs, possibly right? some games too. There could be some games, yeah. There's Game of Thrones season something, like the box set. Yep. But then there's one cube that just has one book in it. <laughs> just one book, and it is the book anthology, which is fucking amazing. That's yeah. awesome. He said he sent me the picture. He said, uh, just set up my library at the new place, because he just moved into a new place. And he sent me that picture, and I said, perfect. And then I sent him, I tried to get him to read the raw shark text. Did you just say something? No, I just had a video start playing on Facebook because that's my level of interest right now. So I'm scrolling through Facebook. Sorry. Um, he didn't really get too far into raw shark text, so that's kind of a point of contention. But he did buy a copy of the book anthology, and that is his entire library. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, he says, I give you permission to talk about my extensive library on your next podcast. And I said, I'm recording right now and mentioned. There you go. So Very nice. But let's get back to this fucking preview. All right. So the preview, you're thinking, all right, I'm going to preview what's going on. I'm going to get a little bit. I'm going to know a little bit more about what's going on with Xanther, this fucking whole story. Nope. It's called And Oria the Owl Fell. And it's like 40 pages of a story from the perspective of a mother owl uh, foraging for food and protecting her young. Now, that on its own is a little weird and offbeat. But every, um, there's a snake and then there's the owl. And every, um, I don't know how to say this. He manages to make images of these using letters and words. And there's one of the owl kind of um, that's claws out and it's like wings. I, I don't know. It's just it's so goddamn cool. I don't uh, know you're cool. talking about when it's the two page spread of the owl picture. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. If I could have something on my wall, that would be it without question. Mm-hmm. There you go. So that's uh, yeah. So. <laughs> If you're kind of iffy about it, you're like, oh, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And then you go into the preview, you're like, all right, I have to I, I have to get this. Which is interesting, because one of the questions I, I wanted to ask him, and it makes a real, real basic assumption. Um, somebody who's that committed to stylistic things, right? So there's no author, I think, that's more committed to, to um, the visual appearance of, of their stories. Um it's got to be hard to commit to 13 years of work in one, you know, <laughs> type of typeset. Yeah. And then I got to that part and I go, nope, here's a whole nother typeset. He just told us a fucking story about an owl and figured out how to do something that is not <laughs> in the preceding 800 pages of this book. Like you think he threw out everything he had, right? Nope. There's more coming. So I don't know if, you know, Xanther, Anwar, Astaire, Luther, if any of their um, story, the, the the way their stories are laid out are going to change based on what's happening with those characters. Um, but yeah, I mean, but fuck, you can goddamn you well expect it. Mm-hmm. But you got to you should buy this book just how pretty it is. And, and like I said, I mean, I got it. I got it on Amazon. I pre-ordered because I wanted it to hit my mailbox the day it came out. Um, and Amazon actually does a guarantee on that. And uh, I felt like the 18 bucks I paid wasn't enough for this book. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, so 
like going going to like McDonald's and pulling out of the drive thru and realizing there's a second sandwich in there that you didn't pay for. <laughs> that's an interesting um, corollary. Corollary. Yeah, that's gonna be a blurb on the on volume two. <laughs> wow, I can't wait for that. Um, uh, you should get it tattooed on you, and then it'll actually show up in the book. Did you see that? You didn't see no. that. No. I did not see that. Flip to open the front um, cover. Go to um, there's uh, the first like real page page. There are quotes from like New York Times book review and the Guardian and everything. But on the top right and the bottom left, you'll see actual tattoos of people who had tattooed Daniel Lewski um, content onto their oh. body. Oh, yeah, nice, crazy. I right? probably won't be. I probably won't be doing that. But well, then you just don't care. I guess that's what I'm getting <laughs> out of it. Um, all right, can we talk more about Daniel Lewski? <laughs> <laughs> How could we not? That guy is just so fucking interesting. And I, I was like, I was like, I don't know if I want him to be as cool as as his books, or or not. But I'm really glad that he's like pretty much as cool as his books. Rob, if only there was a way. You know what I kept thinking the whole time we were there. If only there was a way we could bring all of our listeners along for just a snippet of what it's like to be at a Daniel Lewski reading. Um, can I say one thing about that? Yeah. It's a good thing you have a co-host that is as fucking awesome as the one that you have. <laughs> so here's what happens. We are sitting in the front row because we got there ridiculously early. Now, there are probably... Like three hours before yeah. the event started. There are probably about, what, about 120 people there? I would put it... Well, I would conservatively put it at about 80. 80 okay. to 100. Now, I want you to... I want people to understand that this is about in the same space as my living room, all right? Like, this is <laughs> this is not a large space. If you're going, wow, that seems a little thin. So, when we um, we saw Christopher Moore a couple of years ago in Milwaukee, that would have comfortably sat pretty much everybody that showed up to this thing. There are people in the yep. bookstore aisles and, like, leaning on, like, the counter at the register. I had to go pick up an extra copy of a book, and I had to, like, bump through people, like, excuse me, excuse me, just to get to the register. That's how full this place was. But we are sitting right in the front row, which is fucking awesome because I picked up, I have a copy of House of Leaves, but it's the pages are, it sat in an attic for a while in a box. So the pages are like, you know, they get puffy and a little wrinkled and, you know. So I pick up another copy and Daniel Lewski, who gets there half hour late, by the way, um, goes, oh, I really <laughs> wanted to read a passage from House of Leaves. Can I borrow someone's copy? And my arm shot out like a slingshot, like 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 a switchblade. I, I almost hit the poor guy sitting next to me, and now he read from my copy of House of Leaves. So no matter how cool you are, always remember that Daniel Lewski read from my copy of House of Leaves, and then that'll put you in your place pretty quickly. Which, in like a way, if you ask me, kind of transforms the book into something else entirely. Right? Like, that's exactly what it is. It was read from the author from that copy of the book. Anyway, that's all we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. He read he read that passage, and then he reads a, a, a pretty long passage um, from Xanther. And Xanther, I think we mentioned earlier, um, as a therapist, and, and she's in therapy, and that's what he reads from is that section. And I look over at Rob, and I go, Rob's trying to get some weird angle picture of this. And I realize that he's not moving his phone at all, and that he is shooting high-definition video of Mark Z. Danielewski reading this. Now, I suggest you go and watch this quickly, because I don't know if we're going to get like a cease and desist order, and like YouTube's just going to take it down. But this motherfucker went ahead and got, um, for you guys, 17-minute clip of this reading from the front row. A little off-weird angle from the side, but crystal clear audio and video of Daniel Lewski reading. Yeah, I was really terrified because, like, 
A, I didn't know like the quote unquote legality of it. Um, so I kind of just held my phone in an inconspicuous way, <laughs> way right? <laughs> I guess you could say as, as inconspicuous as you would expect from a guy in the front row recording something on video. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know what it looked like to everybody else, but I was like, Rob's going to get kicked out of here. <laughs> <when> I can't. <laughs> Um, but I only did that after I saw a guy like two rows back recording video. So I was like, well, I'm not the only fucking guy. Um, but I got it right at a, at a good point. And, um, the thing I was most worried about, I didn't care if like the video was shaky or like his head crops out at certain points or whatever. I wanted the audio because that's what it's all about. And the audio is great. I don't know. Have you watched the entire clip, Livius? I have not. No. Um, audio turned out great. Um, and it's just a good example of, of the Xanther character and, and some of the complexities of the character. And so, yeah, we have like a 17-minute clip up on our YouTube channel, which, by the way, is blowing up right now. Because I did an unboxing video we mentioned on the previous episode, and that shit's almost up to 500 views. I saw a commercial today that kind of reminded me of, of our current situation with YouTube. And it was a, a commercial for PetSmart where this woman had started doing videos with her dog. And she feels like she's a celebrity. So she's like, well, this price is just for celebrities, right? The guy at PetSmart's like, no, this is for everybody. And she's like, come on, you can tell me. And at the <laughs> end, she goes, I've got 17 followers. I'm kind of a big deal or something along those lines. <laughs> and yeah, we just blew up YouTube. Um, hoping that this video doesn't shut YouTube down. Um but yeah, book podcast on YouTube. Um, we intend to use this more frequently. And I know that we say that a lot, but Rob and I actually have plans for some things that we're going to be doing. I don't know how soon they are, but I strongly encourage people to go and subscribe to the YouTube channel so we can stop telling you every time we have something on there. You can just go to it yourself. Here's the thing. And I'm going to make that as fucking clear as possible. Like, if it seems like people aren't participating in one way or another, we will abandon shit real quick. So... If you want us to do stuff like videos, like I did that unboxing, which um, it's got, I, I don't know if it's just the clever title that I used or whatever, but got a little bit of attention. Could be where Livia's posted it. This is Kim Kardashian nipple slip. It's the title. And boom, 500 views just like that. Um, not the best comments. Uh, <laughs> um, could It could be that. It could be where Livia's posted it, but um, uh, it could just be that it was a fun idea. But um, if we don't see views, we're not going to do more of it. So the more people participate, and I, I, this is about everything we do. We want to do fun stuff. And, and if Livius knows anything over working like the last four years with me with this, is that I will do way more than probably most people will to make something happen. Um, it's just a matter of like we need to know that you're going to be down for it or like along for the ride. Agreed. Um, all future, all future Wheel of Meat videos will be on the YouTube channel. Now, granted, there won't be one until I think September, <laughs> but future videos will all appear there. That's right. So check out. I mean, this is pretty exclusive. I've seen some clips of Daniel Lewski reading from uh, uh, books and stuff like that, but it's not a 17-minute. And this is high def, recorded in 60 frames per second, fucking like quality video. Um, 17-minute clip of him reading from the familiar book that just got released. This is kind of a big deal, if, if I don't mind saying so. 
it's it rob did an incredible job rob is obviously going to get all the good stuff for the um, youtube channel because the unveiling video of the book was his idea and clearly this was his idea <laughs> um, and i'm just saying that second part for the legality in case they sue someone it was all rob i had no prior <laughs> knowledge that he was going to do this and i don't support it at all unless it's legal and then i'm all aboard um <clears throat> Stay tuned for my unboxing video of Pig Iron by David James Keaton, by the way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'd also like to say that it was nice. Um, uh, Ryan, I'm not going to give his last name because I don't know if he's cool with that or not, who um, is uh, was previously a friend of Rob's who I met at Noir at the Bar in Chicago, the last, uh, the last um, volume chapter of that. Um, came along and was really cool to hang out with. But more importantly, um, <laughs> he brought me a gift, and um, there's nothing I like more than gifts. Um, free comic book day was, I don't know, a month ago now, roughly, and um, I was unable to get to a comic book store because I was working during the hours that free comic book day was, and I had mentioned on Facebook that somebody should really grab me a copy of the Fight Club um, comic that they were doing that day, which I think kind of bridges the gap maybe a little bit between Fight Club and Fight Club 2, and Ryan... Um, brought me a copy. So Ryan, good friend of this show, a good friend of mine now through the gift giving process. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot, buddy, and thanks for hanging out with us the other night. It was cool. Do you remember what Ryan brought me? No, he brought you something too. Fuck that guy. I thought he just brought stuff for me. No, that's the thing. He didn't bring me a goddamn thing. Oh, for... perfect. <laughs> All right, there we go. That's much better. <laughs> that motherfucker. I've known him. I, I brought I, him I, into our world. <laughs> yeah, I abandoned that guy right away. What? He brought gifts for you, too? I thought I was special. So, <laughs> we're such jealous bitches. Oh, we're terrible. We are. We're like fucking old crones. <laughs> um, any rate, this one has gone on, I think, long enough, right? I think we covered everything uh, we need to cover. Uh, no. Something really important's happening this episode. Episode 256. Oh, and pray tell, what, what is that? Do you know how many books now that this is like kind of on the records and everything that we have reviewed over the course of our just over four years as a podcast? We're terrible at doing because even the setups are terrible. Yes, of course I know because it's real big red <laughs> fucking letters at the top of the page. <laughs> this is our 150th book review. That's kind of a big deal if you think if you if you think about it. Dude, I could probably, I'm trying to think, I come into contact with a couple hundred people a day where I work, and I would have to imagine that the vast majority of them haven't read 150 books in their entire life. <laughs> Let alone in the last four years. Yeah, and then did reviews on them. So, um, yeah, we're, 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 we're pretty fucking impressed with ourselves. So congratulations <laughs> on, on the 150th book review, man. That's awesome. You could. You couldn't have stated that better. We're pretty fucking impressed with ourselves. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's a milestone. I, I'm a sucker for milestones. Let's let's just fucking put it out on Front Street here. I fucking love milestones. <laughs> it's you don't really have to say more than that. If it's a if it's a like a hundredth or a fiftieth something episode of something, if it's a if it's an anniversary of some sort, that's when accomplishment kind of strikes me a little bit. Like, I don't get proud when we're on episode two. 32 but when 250 hits i'm like god damn it man we've been doing a lot of podcast episodes does that make sense it makes total sense i mean that's what we do we do mile markers for everything we do in life right it's anniversaries or birthdays or whatever just um the nice thing is that we get one every three months or so have you noticed that because <laughs> we get our anniversary once a year then we hit you know the you know 300th episode will come up it'll pop up um, there's another milestone that we're not going to talk about 
um, because we don't really talk about the number of downloads and stuff, but we hit a, a huge milestone in downloads this last week that Rob caught pretty much on the day, which was um, amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. Here's the whole thing. I love that we're still excited about doing this, that it hasn't become a chore. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, you, you said it better than I could have. That's the yeah. thing. We're still excited about it. Mm-hmm. So um, anything that can add to that excitement. So if it's little, little, you know, little birthdays of how many books we've reviewed or how many authors we've had on or whatever, it's all really cool stuff. And you know, big thank you to those of you who, um, um, you know, who are listening, and and a huge thank you to those of you who have been around since the early days. I mean, you know, you guys are the reason we we kept doing it, and and now everybody is the reason we keep doing it. Yeah, going back to um, immense, immense love and appreciation for the people like Livia said that have been with us through the entire ride um big shout out by the way to sean p ferguson who had a birthday the other day we love you more than we could possibly probably legally admit um <laughs> but there's so many people that we've picked up along the way we have the early people like sean and caleb ross was in a lot of ways foundational to like to everything that we've done and and Pelavia um there's tons of awesome people who've been along for the ride for a long long time who we will eternally love but it just tickles us like we mentioned at the top of the episode to see these people who we've we we, we don't know who they are they're they're complete strangers to us but have such great things to say about the podcast and um I just want to call out a couple names I guess Let's make that a regular part of the episode, the shout-out section. Yeah, yeah. I like this. So, Cassie Lee, whose Twitter account is at that sage blog, at that sage blog, uh, a week or so ago said uh, she tweeted out to a couple of her friends, have you heard of Booked Podcast? I'm loving it, which started out an entire conversation where um, Catherine Short at a short blonde uh, kind of replied back, going to check that out. So there's kind of a conversation with um, a bunch of different uh, uh, Twitter accounts. Nina B, who is NB Wears Flowers, um, and then uh, and, you know a few others. Diane, which is SWT underscore Catastrophe. All of these, you know, obviously they know each other and they're tweeting at each other. But like, there was this surge of kind of enthusiasm about the podcast, which we didn't expect. We didn't advertise for we didn't go out and ask for it just kind of happened and it's that kind of cool stuff that just kind of you know we're going about our regular fucking retail everyday busy lives and you see something like that and it's like oh yeah i've got this thing that i do in my life that actually kind of turns out to be pretty unique and cool well said sir well said and a little shout out to our new followers by by twitter handle Mm -hmm. Hey, can I tell you how much easier it is to fucking read something after you read Daniel Lusky, though? <laughs> oh, that's right. You've already started our next book, haven't you? I am 35% of the way into the Scarlet Gospels by Clive Barker, which I've been ridiculously excited about since, like, 10 years ago when he first started talking about doing this story. I've been excited since then. <laughs> um, oh, nice, smooth, easy reading, man. Just like it. I think that, that I think we need to read a Daniel Lewski book every now and then to remind us how easy it is to read everything else. Oh, man, when I finished that book, like, uh, I was like, I need to find something to just settle my mind because it was just so crammed full mm-hmm. of stuff. 
I had to like watch what uh, the Penny Dreadful episodes is what I kind of mm-hmm. used to to bring my mind down. It was it was crazy. So yeah, I'm looking forward to. I still have to watch Hellraiser. You recommend mm-hmm. me doing that, right? Yes, and you know what? I, I even more recommend it now because as I was reading this, I was trying to think of how you were going to take some of this stuff. And I think for someone who's uninitiated, it, it may come off a little bit cheesy, maybe. Oh. But again, that's a worry I have being familiar with the story that someone who doesn't. So I don't know if it'll come off that way at all. I, I don't know. I have some thoughts already on it. I'm not going <laughs> to share them just yet. But um, there's that. We're still going to do Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. Um, Rob Hart's New York and Pig Iron, uh, Pig Iron by David James Keaton. Before we take our first really ever like hiatus, right? Sort of. We're still gonna have episodes because fuck, what else would we do on Monday nights if we didn't do this? Um, <laughs> uh, was it called when uh, like a professor takes time off to 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 grow themselves to learn and stuff like that? There's a word for it. No, well we're gonna do whatever that is. Yeah. Sabbatical. Sabbat. That's fucking exactly what it is. Sabbatical. We're, We're going to take, take a sabbatical. A sabbatical? Six to, eight, six weeks to eight, six to eight yep. weeks, something like that. I'll drink a and lot not, of beer. And not, not to be a dick, but I'm going to be a little bit of a dick. <laughs> Our sabbatical is going to consist of us doing the exact same number of episodes that we normally do. We're just going to do what other podcasts do <laughs> instead of what we do. Do you realize that that's what our break is going to be we're going to do a normal podcast do like we're going to do interviews and just talk about shit that's our break do you know you know why i'm not laughing right why are you not laughing because that's a hundred percent fucking accurate like <laughs> the amount of work and i don't think people maybe people do appreciate it and it's just kind of lost on us or anything but the amount of fucking work that goes into reading essentially a book i, I would say three to four books a month um Finding the time to record the the conversation about that, editing the audio, putting it out. You've heard me whine on, mm-hmm. you know, ad nauseum mm-hmm. about this. It's a lot of work. You know, it's not a lot of work. Saying, "Hey, can we call you at this time?" and talking for forty five minutes. That's right. That's almost no work. That's like you know what it's like. It's like having a conversation with someone, plus editing audio. <laughs> Exactly. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I think we're gonna we're gonna have some interesting guests. I'm not. We're not exactly sure what the. I can tell you, there's gonna be some interviews. I think we're just gonna have some guest hosts. We shoot the shit with. I think we're actually gonna try some different things. Um, and like I said, it's gonna be six to eight weeks. Um, and uh, you know, I think we're gonna miss out on some books during that time frame. And because we try to stay very very current with releases, and, and oddly, I'm okay with that. So if I read something cool, I'm sure I could take five or six minutes to give you a quick wrap up, you know, or something on it. Um, if I read something, I think listeners will be interesting. Because I plan on continuing to read because I love reading in the summer, just sitting outside at a coffee shop, sunning myself and reading. So the reading's probably not gonna stop. It may slow down a little bit. So um, look for recommendations anyway through that thing. But first, before we do that, we're going to review four more books <laughs> before we take a break and do what other podcasts do. <laughs> so. Can I say something about the pace at which we're reading this year? Um, yes, it's been heavy. All right. <laughs> Thank you. I know I, that. I feel it. I know that. I, and, and hold the phone while we open up a spreadsheet. I don't know if anybody... This is like a little peek behind the curtains that maybe I've already said, but... Um, I, I maintain a spreadsheet throughout the year of, of a lot of very critical information about our, our, our reading habits. As of the familiar volume one, do you know how many pages that we've read for the year just for the podcast, Livius? 
Um, um, this is just a guess. Fifty-two hundred. God damn it! Are you serious? That's your guess? Yeah. Five thousand two hundred eighty-seven. <laughs> I maintain zero spreadsheets. Holy shit. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, how many books is that? I have no idea. I, I'm going to have to go with it. So, let's see. Mathematically, the average book is probably 300 pages. So I'm going to go with um, a 20, 20. 16. Okay. 880, well, I guess, dude. I guess, Come on. Yeah, I guess the 880 yeah, <laughs> first off a little bit. That's three more. That would put me pretty close. So, yeah. Uh. Oh, I love what we do, Rob. So I, I have a goal of 10,000 pages a year, and not even getting halfway through the year, we're over 50% of that goal with four more books to go before our hiatus. I think that taking six to eight weeks off is going to be completely fine. We'll still hit my goal. Yep. I'm sure you'll read something in there. I oh, know yeah. There's yeah, some stuff you've yeah. been meaning to read. So, yeah, I'm sure there's there's things. I'm sure there's things I'll read that I'll compel you to read. So. God damn it. All right. Um, thanks for tuning into this super long, um, super excellent episode. I'm very happy about all the things we talked about this evening. So, um, and before you say what I know you're about to say, I want to thank Mark Z. Danieluski, who, um, in addition to writing books that we've talked about for years, um, and giving us books to review and just giving us like what he does, ended up being just like a fucking super nice guy. <laughs> and like really really entertaining to see live so i want to thank him for that very cool that's actually the interaction i had with him was he goes hey thanks for coming out and i go no thank you for coming out because i only drove an hour <laughs> like that was my response <laughs> to him because he like thanked me for being there and i'm like really it's pretty sure you came from la i think i said so. something like i was like this has been an excellent event or or, or something like mm-hmm. that uh just because i wanted him to know uh, or I think I said he did a great job. I can't remember. It, it might have sounded patronizing or whatever, but like I wanted him to know that that event was was probably as he showed up 38 minutes late. I happened to look at the time when he got in. No, no, no complaints about that because the rest of the event was just great. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, next time, Scarlet Gospels, um, Rob's first Clyde Barker novel, Clyde Barker's first adult novel in eight years, if I'm uh, memory serves correctly. Um, And uh, until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.